The true crime reporter never settles for standing outside the yellow crime scene tape. You knock on doors, dig through records, and cultivate sources to get to the bottom of the story. I'm Robert Riggs, the host and creator of the True Crime Reporter podcast, back with another story from three decades of investigative reporting. In this episode, I pulled out my reporter's notebooks, my law enforcement sources opened up their confidential case files, we sat down together to talk. And you can listen in to our journey into darkness. But before you do, be advised that this podcast is for a mature audience and not for the faint of heart. Some episodes may contain profanity and graphic details of violent crimes. Kenneth McDuff's confidential prison records contained plenty of warning signs that he was a psychopathic killer. Parole Board Chairman James Granberry repeatedly intervened in McDuff's case to set him free and claim McDuff would make a useful citizen. But McDuff's daughter alleged a $25,000 bribe greased palms to open the prison gate. In this episode, we learn that Granberry used a secret process called special review to let a hate crime killer out of prison in exchange for two cars. A hate crime killer, a serial child predator, and one of Kenneth McDuff's prison pals, a violent serial rapist, passed through the revolving door of Texas corrupt parole and prison systems. All of them were denied parole, but a secret panel called Special Review overrode those denials and let them go free. The son of a wealthy Dallas business executive who killed a 22-year-old African-American man received one of those special reviews. The killer unloaded three shotgun blasts into a Tyler, Texas nightclub. Michael Stevenson, a random hate crime victim, died in the arms of his brother. It's, really, it's been really hard to, to figure out why. Uh, I just feel like we just we arrived at the uh, wrong place at the wrong time that night, and uh, this guy didn't care who it was because uh, the witnesses, uh, his next-door neighbor and his uh, girlfriend testified against him and said they, he had told them that he was going to go out there if that happened and kill him a nigger. The parole board denied parole for the convicted killer, but three days later, James Granberry approved his parole using the secret special review. Two months later, Granberry received two cars from the killer's wealthy father. John Moriarty worked on the federal grand jury investigation of James Granberry. This seemed to me to be the perfect crime because Texas is under pressure to release, you know, hundreds and hundreds of inmates. So uh, who's going to notice that I'm taking money to let the worst of the worst out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, um, you know, they're, they're, they're feeding off the system. You know, they're uh, uh, taking advantage of an, an, an opportunity, a business opportunity in their minds. There was one case uh, of, a, of a murderer whose son uh, was, um, was released uh, because he... Um, uh, paid some money uh, to cons- have uh, have the parole board uh, deal with the situation, and um, well, you know, I did a report that there was a wealthy Dallas businessman who 
uh, gave the parole board chairman and his girlfriend two cars in exchange for his son, who had committed a murder, which was really a hate crime, and he got out. That's correct. That's the case I'm talking about. Yeah. So uh, what struck me in that in, about that was that, boy, life was pretty cheap. Just two two cars yeah. for, to get a murderer out? Yeah, one of, one of the cars went to the parole board chairman's girlfriend who worked at the parole office in Austin, and one went to, to him. But, I, you know, a person listening with, with this would think, oh, this must cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, uh, it's relatively cheap. It's volume is what they look for. I mean, God knows how many more it, it happened to. It also happened to Curtis Frank Brooks, a serial rapist and pal of serial killer Kenneth McDuff. Brooks served less than 20 years of a 99-year life sentence, thanks to a special review by parole board chairman James Granberry. Granberry and a parole board crony approved Brooks' parole in April of 1990 over the protest of his rape victims. I was investigating Brooks' relationship with McDuff and his secret special review parole. When it came to my attention, Brooks was the subject of a statewide manhunt. During a one-month crime spree, Brooks brutally beat and raped five women, kidnapped two others, committed seven armed robberies, and one home invasion in seven Texas cities. He committed dozens of other rapes and robberies in a four-state rampage. As I prepared to broadcast my report, the police scanners in the newsroom erupted with a high-speed chase in progress. Irving, Texas police pursued a bank robber driving a stolen Lexus. The armed robber jumped a freeway median and headed the wrong way into heavy traffic. He slammed head-on into another vehicle, killing its driver. Police pulled the bank robber from the twisted, burning wreckage, saving his life. It was McDuff's buddy, Curtis Frank Brooks, another violent ex-con who should have been behind bars for the rest of his life. Bill Johnston, the former U.S. attorney who investigated the Texas parole system, says it resembled the corruption portrayed in the movie Shawshank Redemption. I had no idea about, I had no idea those things were going on. And uh, I thought that Texas's system had been corrupted um, and in, and turn into a system of who knows who and where you're dealing with um, you're dealing with people's lives and you're dealing with future crimes as if it's uh, something to be traded or bartered for a favor or for something else and I was just shocked I mean the whole system was and a lot of it was former parole board members or staffers that had turned into so-called consultants. It was just a, it was a terribly cheap, uh, trashy uh, process that had developed. So what did you make of Granberry? Here was a man, he'd been a, uh, a dentist, respected mayor of Lubbock, first uh, candidate for Republican governor. But there's another side to this man. It was so weird. And... You always want to make sure you're not getting carried away with some story. 
But there were too many stories and too many credible people that were saying, this guy's weird. And he has these weird relationships with uh, these consultants and, and others on the parole board, his personal indiscretions and so forth. It was really an odd deal. He was a, uh, he was a, he was two people and one of them was really bad. Granberry had this thing called special review where he would, uh, an inmate was denied parole. He would go in behind them and approve them for parole. And actually had a female board member began raising questions about it because she was seeing people out committing crimes in the newspaper that she'd voted against. Mm. And then suddenly she started getting threats Mm. and she was scared to death and left the board. Wow. Yeah. um, He, I think he developed a system within the system, as you say, sort of a a backup plan to get people out. Um, He abuses authority, obviously terribly. And uh, it led to some real tragedy, great amount of tragedy. Johnston says his investigation could not quickly find direct evidence to connect James Granberry to the $25,000 bribery scheme to get serial killer Kenneth McDuff out of prison on parole. The former prosecutor says he did the next best thing. He busted the former parole board chairman turned parole consultant for income tax evasion. And, you know, old Al Capone uh, didn't go to um, Alcatraz for being a gangster. He did it for tax evasion. He went for tax evasion. So I wanted to look at Granbury's financial situation as much as I could. And we learned that he had, in a given year, um, this sounds petty, but I'm sorry, that he had sold a huge apartment complex in Lubbock. And one of my assistants was a, had been with the tax division, was very familiar with all the tax law. And so Granbury had sold for a few million dollars, I believe, this big apartment complex. And he, um, my assistant said, I bet you he didn't recapture his depreciation. And I wasn't really familiar with recapture depreciation, but an analysis of the whole thing showed, yeah, he didn't recapture any of it. He didn't pay any tax on the sale. Uh, he, he would have had to have gone to establish a new basis. This is very taxy, I know. Right. But the point is he evaded taxes uh, and not ten or $20,000, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So basically like Al Capone, you got him on taxes. I got him on taxes. Got him on taxes. And and I was satisfied that he had been exposed, honestly by you, Robert, but he had been exposed. <laughs> he had been exposed for what he was. The system had been exposed and was starting to be all the, again, because of your work, was being peeled back many layers at a time now, quickly. And that I wanted to get him a conviction. And uh, it was, a it for me at the time, was a pretty good resolution. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, and it was all only felony I had immediately. John Moriarty, who investigated Granberry and later became the Inspector General of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, says the 30-year-old Kenneth McDuff parole case should not be forgotten. The bottom line is that, in my opinion, uh, the people that make decisions on who gets released shouldn't be political appointments. That's the bottom line. It should be professionals that you know, understand convicts and and understand uh, 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 psychopaths, and 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 
can't be compromised, pay them well enough to make those decisions. But, um, you know, when you're, I had, a, had, had another parole board chairman uh, tell me, and, and it's, uh, I, I believe the best analysis of the parole system is that 20% should never get out, 20% of them. 20% will get out just after serving their little bit of time. It's that 60% in the middle that we got the problem with. And um, making an educated decision, not a political decision, on, uh, you know, is, is the only thing that's saving, saving the, uh, the public. Next on True Crime Reporter, we expose the shadowy world of shakedowns by parole consultants. Well, I, I was talking to Bill Johnston during the course of the investigation, and um, I mean, it, we knew something was seriously wrong. And um, so we ended up uh, looking at some of these other files that you're talking about. And um, we there was a shakedown operation pretty much going on with uh, these guys who were... Uh, Serial, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, shakedown operation going on with some of these murderers and and uh, other other major criminals whose family members were wealthy, and uh, we targeted uh, a couple of the cases as well as looking at a couple of the parole board members. We want to be your favorite podcast, and we'll appreciate your review wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you have a suggestion or know of a case we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. To follow our email messages with updates and bonus information from episodes, please join our fan base at truecrimereporter.com. True Crime Reporter is a trademarked and copyrighted news production hosted and written by me, Robert Riggs, executive producer, Elizabeth Arnold, producer and operations manager, Grace Woodward, producer, Siler Burr, original music for the Free to Kill series, Blair King, sound design for Free to Kill, Matt Stoker, graphics, Brian David Kerr. You can read more about all of our news team members at truecrimereporter.com.